following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. So this is a responsive reading from Psalm 118. It'll be on the screen. And okay, so I'm going to read the pink parts and you're going to read the yellow parts. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is good, and he has made this light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Our gospel reading will be coming from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, starting on verse 28. It is on page 854 in your Red Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. It is actually on the screen as well. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If everyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks of the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Thank you, Sean. So it is Palm Sunday, as I've mentioned a couple times already this morning. And uh, Palm Sunday is such an interesting day in a lot of ways. Um, first way I'll tell you about it that it's interesting is as a person who writes a Palm Sunday sermon every year. Now, I'm, I promise this is not going to be about me necessarily because... Um, there's a truth in that, that that makes the challenge for me, but I think it's also a challenge for everybody who wants to engage with this idea because um, there is something different about this special holy day on the Christian calendar compared to every other holy day 
on the Christian calendar. And that has to do with the, the readings from the Bible that we are assigned to read in worship on Palm Sunday. So with every other special season, um, like Lent or Advent or the season of Christmas, which comes after Christmas, confusingly, um, or the season of Easter, which comes after the, season, after the day of Easter, they, we, we use typically readings from the lectionary, which are assigned by an editorial board on a three-year cycle. Right? And so the Bible readings are never the same the consecutive year, in consecutive years. So on Easter Sunday this year, the readings will be about the resurrection, but they'll be different from the readings that were assigned last year. Uh, the same is true all throughout the season of Lent, the preparation for Easter. There's different readings, four different readings every Sunday, and they are not the same ones that were assigned last year or the year before. They are the same ones that were assigned three years ago. And that keeps things a little fresh. Um, the difference with Palm Sunday, it's pretty much always the same. Every year on Palm Sunday, the lectionary gives us Psalm 118, which is the psalm that we read responsively at the beginning of the service and the the psalm that Jesus' followers were quoting, which is what made people so mad, in the gospel reading we just heard. So we always get Psalm 118, and we always get the same gospel story. Jesus uh, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people laying out their cloaks and waving the palm leaves and shouting, Hosanna. Now there's four different gospels in the Bible, four different books that sort of tell the stories of Jesus' life and teaching. And so the version of the story changes year to year, but it's, there's not very much change in the details in those um, stories. And so every year, when I sit down to write a Palm Sunday sermon, I feel like I've said everything that I could possibly say about these events, and then I curse the lectionary editors. <laughs> I'm texting them like, no. Um, <laughs> uh, but then, inevitably, two things happen. The first thing that I realize is that Cleverness is uh, actually quite overrated, right? And it's actually totally fine that it's always the same idea, the same story year after year, because it is an idea and a lesson from this text that we need to be reminded of. It's almost by its definition the type of lesson that we forget quickly. And I'll tell you what what I think that lesson is in a few minutes. So the first thing is that I realize cleverness is overrated. And then the second thing is, um, maybe the flip side of that realization, is that I always end up feeling like God gives me something. Just a little angle on the story that I haven't noticed before, or a handle to hold it with as I share it with you. And I was thinking about that. Like, those are almost enough of a spiritual lesson in and of themselves (laughs) right there. Cleverness is overrated. Repetition is fine. God is ready to meet you there, wherever there is, as soon as you get your head in the right place. Go in peace. That's the sermon, right? It's not really. Sorry. That's maybe the the sermon that I got. So that's one reason the, the story is interesting. It's, it's, it gives us the same text every year, even on a high holy day. The, the other thing that's interesting to me about this story is that I'm pretty sure it's the only story in the Bible, or in, in any religious text for that matter, uh, of all the religions of the world, that contains a donkey heist. <laughs> I have not done exhaustive research on this topic, but I do believe that Jesus is the only spiritual leader 
ever to tell his followers to steal a beast of burden. Although there is some speculation about this story, that Jesus actually secretly did know the owners of the donkey, of the the colt, and he didn't tell his disciples. He just pranked them. (laughs) He's like, go find a donkey. Um, if, If anybody bothers you about it, just say, the Lord needs it. And then he's like hiding behind a a tree watching them. I like to think of it that way anyway. Um, Just the kind of thing Jesus would do to mess with his followers, right? One year I wrote my sermon from the perspective of the donkey. (laughs) I had not yet learned that cleverness is overrated. (laughs) That lesson came later. There is, by the way, a wonderful poem about the donkey. I tend to I put it on social media every year. It's by G.K. Chesterton. I'm not really exactly on social media this, this Lenten season. Um, but uh, I have it printed out. If anybody likes poetry, just ask me for it later. I'll show it to you. I won't recite it right now. You could also just Google the donkey by G.K. Chesterton. And um, it's really good. So the donkey is really interesting. But so are the people in the story. The people in this story are so much like us. And they have such an important lesson to teach us. One that we need to learn over and over and over again because, as I said a moment ago, it's the type of lesson that we forget almost immediately upon learning it. And for that reason, it really is okay that we have to read the same story every year. The lesson is simple to grasp but nearly impossible to apply. And here it is. This is what I would think is the the main lesson from the Palm Sunday story, some version of which I preach every year, which is that God gives us what we need, but not in the way that we expect it or want it. God gives us what we need, but not in the way that we expect it or want it. And sometimes God does give us what we want, but also not in the way that we expect it. In this case, what did the people in this story want? What did Jesus' followers want? And we'd like to think it's just the fringe followers who didn't really have a clue, but it was Jesus' close inner circle who also didn't have a clue. Good news for all of us who don't have a clue. What the people wanted was to be out from under the oppressive rule of a corrupt, brutal dictatorship. Right? The Jews in Jerusalem were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They had been conquered as a people over and over again. People who study the uh, ancient Near East can name for you the number of empires that swept through there, right? The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Romans, you know. And it seems like these, these Israelites, these people of God, had always been under the thumb of one or another of these regimes. And some of them were worse and some of them were less worse. But at this time in history, they were under the thumb of the Roman emperor who had installed a puppet king-ish figure, King Herod, in Jerusalem to rule over the Jews. But he was really just a, you know, the arm of the emperor. And what the people wanted desperately was for Jesus to come in and conquer the powers of evil and liberate them to live in freedom and in peace. 
That's what the people wanted and what they needed was for Jesus to come in and conquer this evil empire and allow them to live in freedom and in peace. Now what they thought that would look like, and you could probably forgive them for making this mistake, what they thought that would look like at that time as a powerful warrior coming into the capital on a majestic horse, How many hands high is that? I don't know. A very big horse. A war horse with a sword in his hand. Probably a helmet, one of those little helmets that has a little nose thing on it. Leading a revolution of the people who would be so inspired by this leader that they would take up arms against the Roman Empire and they would unseat this corrupt ruler and then Jesus would replace him as the true king on the throne. And institute a new reign of justice for the people of God. And if the other people that you know, weren't the people of God wanted to be part of that reign, they probably could. I mean, they'd have to get us coffee and stuff. But really what we want is for our leader to be the new ruler of the world. Right. Have you seen this story play out in contemporary fiction? Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones. Braveheart. Every World War II movie is some version of this story, right? Also, it's every expectation of the Jewish Messiah leading up to this moment. This is what was expected, right? And listen, it's important for you to realize that when I talk about this sort of thing, and I am sort of putting the the Jewish people on blast for not getting it, I hope you would understand without me having to say that that is not... Uh, I don't say that from an anti-Semitic perspective. I say that from like a human reality perspective. There's nothing unique about the Jews at this time or any other time that made them not able to grasp what was actually going to happen. The reason that we all need to learn this lesson every year is because it's a very human lesson that we need to learn. But in that context, all of the prophecies about the Messiah, which means anointed king, they all... Uh, were interpreted by the people as like, when is it finally going to happen? When's the Messiah going to come and mess stuff up? <laughs> right? And that also would have been in line with their interpretation of the events of their own history, which are recorded in the Bible. How did they get into the promised land? Well, there was a leader who probably had one of those helmets with a nose thing on it and a sword. And they conquered people. They didn't beat them at chess, right? There was a lot of violence and blood in those conquests. They were used to that. They thought that is, what, that, they thought that is how God worked because that's how they interpreted the events of their past. Why wouldn't they imagine the events of their future to be the same way? But what they got, instead of a king with a sword and a helmet and a big old horse, was a humble rabbi riding into town on a donkey, unarmed, who, and I don't mean to spoil the ending for you, who's going to die just a few days later. And not in glorious battle but in a humiliating execution 
the specific type of death that Jesus is going to die is going to make him look exactly like every previous failed leader of every previous failed rebellion. Because that's what the Roman Empire did. They said, would you like to be part of us? Pick one. Yes or die. And anytime anybody tried to overthrow or get out of line, they were nailed to a cross and hung up in a public place so that everybody would see what happens to rebels in the Roman Empire. And so when that exact thing happened to Jesus, that, that deflated the expectations that were already kind of like, what's going on here? He's riding a donkey. And then he gets killed. And yet, and here's where the lesson comes in, Jesus' death actually was a triumph over the powers of evil. It actually was a liberating moment from the, uh, from the oppressive rule of the powers of this world. It just didn't happen in the way that they expected it to. Jesus did not call down the angels of heaven to intervene. Jesus did not fight tooth and nail and take out as many Roman centurions as he could before they nailed him to that wood. He did not even spit in the faces of the people who arrested him and convicted him and crucified him. Instead, he submitted to this humiliation He submitted to the deepest sins that humanity knows how to commit. Not only to an individual act of murdering one person, but to the systemic acts of religious corruption and nationalistic empire. And what he did instead of any of those violent responses was he asked God to forgive them. And then, and here again, I do not mean to spoil the ending of the story for you. He rose up from the tomb of death. And he started the actual revolution, which is still going on to this day. Right. Now, in some churches, that would be an applause line. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm kind of glad you didn't actually, because I'm not really all that comfortable with applause in church. Maybe it comes from my grandmother. When they used to clap after the special music in church, my grandma would be like... (laughs) (sighs) Did you hear what I said, though? Not the part about the resurrection. I know you're all familiar with that part of the story. I mean the part about how it's still going on today. Wouldn't it be nice if that part weren't the case? And this is where we find ourselves in the shoes of Jesus' original followers back in Jerusalem. God gave them what they needed, even gave them what they wanted for, or what they wanted, but not in the way they expected, not at all in the way that they expected. God's triumph was in overthrowing an evil regime, God's triumph was in restoring a just king to the throne. But God's triumph is still underway. And the parts about rooting out all of the evil, 
the parts about uh, driving away the human tendency to kill and to oppress, that's still underway. So for many reasons, the the effects of this revolution were not instantaneous, worldwide, and comprehensive. It's still going on today, and wow, does that make us mad and impatient and doubtful of God's promises sometimes, doubtful of God's goodness sometimes, on the verge of giving up sometimes. And, and, and. So the lesson of Palm Sunday, which I need every single year, and maybe you do too, is not only that God gives the people what they need, but not in the way they expect, but also that the work is ongoing. We have to participate. I was on a walk this a couple weeks ago praying and thinking about this sermon and I was listening to a prayer podcast and one of the things that it said was slow down and I immediately slowed down the way I was walking because I was a very literal person in that moment. <laughs> I realized I was kind of doing that. I got to get somewhere, but I didn't have to get anywhere. <laughs> I was just going to go get an espresso, which was probably the last thing that I needed. I realize not for the first time this year or this month or even in that week that I am in a big hurry. I'm in a big hurry to get through this busy month. I'm in a big hurry to get through Holy Week because it's pretty tiring for pastors. I'm in a big hurry to get through the, the work that I have due in my grad school program. I'm in a big hurry to see this start to be that again. I'm in a big hurry to get through whatever this nonsense is that Rochester calls spring (laughs) and to be able to reliably know that I can sit outside without a coat on. Some really big important things and some not so big important things. Are you in a big hurry? What are you hurrying toward? What are you hurrying away from? Slow down. What will you miss by rushing? When I slowed down my pace, I noticed that the birds were singing. The birds always know. You cannot hold back spring. Even Rochester does not hold back spring. And the birds were telling me, reminding me. The people wanted a revolution. And so do we. They wanted it fast. And so do we. But that is not how the world works. And it's not how God works. So if you want a revolution. It's been going on for 2,000 years. So slow down. It's probably not going to finish before you die. But you can be part of it. Let's be subjects of his kingdom. And in so doing, let's bring it about. So, 
told you we had a Palm Sunday parade, right? I don't see kids at the door yet, but they will be here very shortly. Would you like me to read the poem? Okay. You knew I was going to read the poem, right? This is The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am dumb, I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet, there was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. It's always tempting to try to interpret poetry, but I'll refrain. Uh, 
Thank you, children of Artisan. What a great job. <laughs> yes, kids can go to your grown-ups now if you want. And uh, we're going to take communion and sing one last song together. So if you'd like to come to the table, um, we're going to have kids who are helping to serve it, actually. Do we have our communion servers ready to go? All right. So you can come and take... Uh, the bigger bowl is regular elements, and the smaller bowl is the gluten-free elements. Ruby, do you have your mask? I don't know where it is. Okay. We'll get one for you. Um, I'll use that time to let you know that you are welcome to participate in this holy sacrament with us, whether you're a member of our church or not, whether you're a member of any church or not. The important thing is that you are seeking to follow Jesus in this place, um, and that can mean a lot of different things for, for people, but we have a, a very open table and invite you to receive this because we understand it to be the real presence of the Savior with us, um, the body and blood broken for us, shed for us. And uh, if you'd like to come and take it while we sing, you can take one. Come through the middle aisle, please, and take one or the other uh, types of communion, and then you can return back um, through the side aisle and, and take it whenever you're ready, and we'll sing this old great hymn together while we take communion. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. wind that art so strong ye clouds that sail in heaven along oh praise him alleluia thou rising moon in praise rejoice ye lights of evening find a voice oh praise him oh Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. their creator bless and worship him in humbleness oh praise him alleluia praise praise the father praise the son and praise the spirit three in one oh praise him 
the Spirit, three, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. job. All right. Uh, it's been great to worship God with you in this place today. And now for our benediction. All right. Take it away. Blessed is the one who comes to us by the way of love poured out with abandon. Blessed is the one who walked toward us by the way of grace that holds us fast. Blessed is the one who calls us to follow in the way of blessing in the path of joy. Thank you. Go in peace. Don't forget to catch me if you want to talk about Good Friday setup or catch Doug if you want to talk about Uganda Water Project support. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.